2: welcome to the approach shot the golf show that's more laughs than links more stories than strokes more guffaws than golfers here are the hosts of the approach shot john ashton and neil michaels
3: it is time for us we are here the Approach here Shot podcast how you doing man
4: i'm doing good how are you today Hey, you know it's a day. A it's a day. It's a day. It's a day like no other day.
3: It's getting to be uh, summertime.
4: It is that, and you know what's great about summertime is, as a baseball geek, and you know mm-hmm. I am. Yes, you are. It is. It is weird. We're into the season, and I have to tell you, I do. I spend way too much time on Twitter, and have spent a lot of time the last few weeks or so defending your Red Sox because they weren't as bad as they looked just as they're probably not as good as they're playing now, but apparently everybody in the, in the Red Sox locker room woke up at the same time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's it's still a, a much improvement from when I was a child. And, you know, by this time in the season, the Red Sox usually were numerically already eliminated from the playoffs yeah. So um, it's nice to see that they're uh, they're still alive late into the season, or late into the end of May. Actually, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Nice we're change. recording
4: this on May twenty fifth, and probably we'll be playing this the first week of June. I have two things to say. Number one, the Red Sox have made their way out of whatever funk they were in, and mm-hmm. are almost at five hundred. And I suspect that they will they will be very active in the American League East. And number two, my stunk up the entire year. Minnesota twins last year are in first place by five games in our Mm -hmm. division. And we are not doing it with smoke and mirrors, nor are we doing with bats. We have this amazing young pitching staff and those of us who are fans never saw it coming.
3: Hmm. Never saw it. Rather, rather brave esque. Yeah, guys.
4: Very much so. Mm -hmm. So, I'm well, glad that we're like into the baseball season, into the baseball feel. You know what? Why don't we go ahead and like make this show about, I don't know, baseball?
3: Okay. Yes, yeah, you've convinced me.
4: <laughs> that pause made me wonder if you had something else up your
3: sleeve. We can't make every yeah. show about bourbon. so <laughs> Nothing up my sleeve. Nothing up my sleeve. Presto. Um, Must use the wrong hat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I miss Moose and Squirrel. I'm sorry. That's, that's quite all right. <laughs> Mike I... Ortman who is the author of
4: a book called Opening Day 50 for 50, is our guest today, and I will go out on a limb and tell people he is an old friend of mine, so if I geek out a little bit, I apologize.
3: Okay, and he's coming right up. Hang with us. We are The Approach Shot.
4: Guys, let's talk underwear, specifically Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear. When you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, you're so much more comfortable. You can do everything better. My wife said to me, this dinner you cooked is so much better. And I said, well, I'm wearing my Tommy John's. So then she motioned to the bedroom and I said, trust me, that won't be any better. And you know why? I won't be wearing my Tommy John's. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. With over 17 million pairs sold, men across America love their Tommy John underwear. I love my Tommy John's. They really do make everyday living so much easier and more comfortable. And hey, it's Tommy John's anniversary month, so whether you're trying them for the first time or you're a longtime fan, now get 25% off site wide at TommyJohn.com/Approach. Go to TommyJohn.com/Approach today for 25% off site wide tommyjohn.com slash approach. See site for details.
3: And thanks for hanging. We are back. We are The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. He's Neil Michaels. And we told you Michael Ortman was coming. Mike, I got a story I got to tell you, man. I was uh, texting with a friend of mine last night. And uh, an investment advisor. She was giving me stuff I didn't want to hear, and I said, "I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. I'm reading a book in preparation for an interview I have to do tomorrow." And she <laughs> said, "Oh, she said, "Oh, what kind of book is it?" And I said, "Well, it's a sports book about a guy attending an opening day baseball game every year for the last fifty years, and she takes it back immediately, "Lovely Michael Ordman." Uh-huh. <laughs> And I said, "Yes, you know the book." And she said, "Yeah, my dad made me read it before he passed away. Hopefully, so, he didn't pass
4: away from reading the book."
3: Yeah, oh, I think those are two totally too unrelated, unrelated things. But yeah, oh my. but um, yeah, is, she's. I, I think How it was because that? of the relationship. Wow, the relationships that you go into great detail in your book. I think he he related to the relationship he and his daughter had, and that's why he wanted her to read the book. Oh. she was she was very taken by it. But I was just I don't want to say surprised, but you know, she didn't strike me as a sitting down reading a baseball themed book kind of
5: person, you know. Ah, oh, that's so a, uh, it was great. You made my day with that story. I was at a, book signing, was yeah. at a book signing a couple weeks ago at a Barnes and Noble when a young lady walked in and I did my normal. Hi, any baseball fans in your family? And the young lady says, yes, I, I am. I'm a Red Sox fan. Yay. <laughs> Uh, Now the book is very mid-Atlantic centric, but I went to five opening days where the Red Sox were the opponent, and I told her that, and she her eyes lit up a little bit. And then I showed her in the book how there's a QR code at the end of every chapter, and it's got a companion site, and it's kind of high-tech. And she says, That's dope. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to pause and think for a minute. I think that was a good thing because she bought (laughs) two copies. So I forget
4: (laughs) There you go. Well, I'm I'm going to admit to people going into this that that uh, Mike and I have known each other for a uh, long time, and mm-hmm. used to work together at Home Team Sports. I have mentioned this in a couple of previous podcasts. So back in the day, as they say, the bleeding edge of
5: cable TV, right
4: at the beginning of <laughs> the cable TV and sports. Stuff, so man. I have to tell you, one of the great things about reading the book is. As we got into the time where we worked together, which was the late 80s, mid 80s, somewhere in there. And there's a lot of stories about the Orioles and Memorial Stadium and Cal Ripken and things that um, it brought me back to our friendship and knowing each other the way we did. And I have to tell you, and and I don't mean for this to sound like I'm your old uncle or anything like that, but I'm so thrilled about the book. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased for you. It's an Amazon bestseller. And um, let me just read this because I always start by reading something interesting uh, in our interviews. The book was described as a new book, opening day 50 for 50. It's part memoir, part history, and an inspiring love letter to the sport
5: of baseball. I don't think that could be written any better. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is all This is all so new to me. It's the first book I've ever done. So when I hear nice things. I, I, I read every chapter aloud to my wife as I was writing it. She put up with it, but she loved it. She thought it was fine. But I said, I don't know if anyone's going to buy it or anyone's going to read it, but I'm going to have fun writing it. And that's Mm -hmm. where we were three months ago, two months ago. And (laughs) what's happened in the last two or three months with stuff like what you just read, Neil, was just makes me feel very good. So thank you for sharing.
4: Well, let's (laughs) face it. uh, Some of the people who have reviewed the book and given it high praise are guys like Tim Kirchin, Kenny Mm -hmm. Rosenthal, Cal Ripken himself. Um, had some wonderful things to say about the book. In fact, I have the quote here. Cal said, Mike does a remarkable job of chronicling his own streak of 50 consecutive opening days in this terrific book. Opening day is such a special day for baseball fans around the world. It it signifies the start of spring as well as a new start and hope for every team. And I got to tell you, I mean, we've all sort of lived with the whole Hope Springs Eternal especially if you're an Orioles fan or a Twins fan, sometimes a Red Sox fan, go into the spring. Suddenly it's like, yay, my team stands a chance. And then 50 games into the season, you're wondering when football will start. <laughs> well,
5: we, we were thinking that in Washington after 50 games in 2019. That's right. When <laughs> the Nationals famously were 19 and 31, and no team <laughs> had ever come back from that bad of 50-game start. And, and what happened to them? And they won the World Series. They, so won, they won the World Series. Always
1: So uh, yeah.
5: Stranger things have happened. And and I couldn't let the book end. Opening day 2019 was my 50th and last of the streak. I couldn't let the book end there. So we added an epilogue that kind Mm -hmm. of chronicled the postseason and the World Series and coming back from the depths of despair and all that. And a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit down and have cigars with Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, the architects of that season. And I signed, that's,
4: what, that's what your life is now.
5: That's right. And I and I signed <laughs> I signed the book to Davy. Thanks for the epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> it was just
1: a great. Fun.
4: So so give people a, a little bit of a history on this. It it's a it's fifty for fifty. So you literally attended fifty opening days, and you started in 1970 when you were how old? Nine.
5: Nine. Almost ten. I turned 10 later So here.
4: clearly you went through until 59, but you didn't go to 50 different cities. It was Correct. only three cities, six ballparks, five home teams, right. but fifty opening days.
5: So the first two were my beloved Washington senators in 1970 and 71. And in 72, it was a player strike that delayed the start of the season. And I I recall dad said something like one Sunday afternoon in April, Why don't we go to opening day? Because we've been the previous two years. And, I kind of dad wasn't much of a baseball guy, but he knew I was. I probably said something like, "Dad, my my team just moved to Texas, and now the Texas Rangers. I don't have a team anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and let's go to Baltimore. Baltimore, where's that? <laughs> I have never been to Baltimore. Got out one of those paper maps, I'm sure, and unfolded it, and never to be restored to its original condition. <laughs> and um, off to Baltimore we went. And it was cold and miserable, but the opening day thing continued. And I did that for a few mm-hmm. years at Memorial Stadium in the '70s. Uh then off to college I went, figuring this is over. There's no baseball team within 100 miles. When I befriended a guy who had the two things that were most important in life. Craig Chaval had a love for baseball, the Chicago White Sox, and a car. <laughs> <There
3: you go. laughs> so
5: off to comiskey Park we go for the next three years. And I fell in love with the White Sox, more importantly, with Harry Carey, yeah. who was the I mean, there was something great about a guy who hangs out of the press box with a microphone in one hand and a beer in the other and the city's taking me <laughs> out to the ball game so i did that for three and then when harry defected to the north side and became the cubs guy i said let's go to wrigley field and Craig said, oh, i'm going to wrigley field i'm a white Sox fan and i didn't understand the the fine art of north and south and the, the mm-hmm. great baseball civil war of chicago but i found a cubs fan and went to wrigley for H- harry's first game and then uh, Harry Carey's first game at, at Wrigley Field as a Cubs announcer. Then back to Baltimore, Memorial Stadium for several more years. And then, Neil, that's when you and I got together in the business, if you will, for a bit. So yep. it became work for a time. Yep. Uh, then the grand opening of Oriole Park in 92 was a great milestone. Continued until 04 when I bid farewell to the Orioles and baseball came back to Washington, D.C. in 2005. Very special. And then mm. the opening of, of uh, Nationals Park after that. So got and 50 was- years in there.
4: Unless people think that this then becomes about the Senators and the Orioles and the Washington Nationals and the White Sox only, it's all of the other teams that were there had a contribution, all of the other players that were there. Some of the players that you mentioned just make my heart sing. Bob Gibson, Mickey Lolich, Boog Powell, Tony Canigliero. I mean, some mm. of these guys are, are the people that we grew up with that weren't the super duper stars like a Carl Yastrzemski and a Cal Ripken and a Frank and Brooks Robinson. And you make mention of some of these guys in the book. I like the the fact that every chapter mentions all of the future hall of famers and Mm -hmm. the potential hall of famers. But I think one of the great things as a, as a true baseball fan is talking about these guys that weren't ultra famous, Mm -hmm. but they still made up the thread of baseball.
5: Yeah, we went the extra mile and put an index in the book because one of my early editors said, you know, this book is very dense. There's a lot of that stuff that you just described, Neil, in, in the book. There's 750 names of people and places in that index. <laughs> uh, okay. you know, this wasn't just all memory. There's a lot of research went into this. And, yeah, each chapter is a story that may or may not have to do with that game. Very rarely does it actually have to do with that game. But there's also a page in each chapter about the game and even right. obscure players if they can look let's face it opening day as a baseball game is just another of the 162 regular season games but it kind of gets you a level set of where we are in baseball history who are the future hall of famers that are in the game who are some of the other players that are notable that contributed that day and it, yeah. it helps bring back the memories for people it's been fun
3: mike lordman is our guest author opening day 50 for 50 it's it's it, it's a uh, I don't know an homage to baseball to life whatever uh, we've got a lot more we'll be right back on the approach shot hang with us. You know, by now, you've probably heard all about cryptocurrencies. You might even already be investing in them. But did you know that you can invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get all the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use and it takes only a few minutes to create your account. Setting up an IRA is free and iTrust has no account opening fees and no monthly fees. It's time to start taking control of your financial future. With iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Sign up today and receive a $100 funding bonus when you open and fund an account. Visit itrustcapital.com to start investing today. That's itrustcapital.com. Taxes and conditions apply, fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax. Professional.
1: Tired of paying outrageous
3: prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts.
1: Generic Sildenafil allows you to save up to $650 on Viagra.
3: Why pay name brand prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get the same results for less than
1: $3 a pill? Call today and get 50 generic Sildenafil pills for just $99. Call 800-590-0443. That's 800-590-0443. Again, 800-590-0443.
3: Hey, thanks for hanging and coming back. This is The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton. He's Neil Michaels. Michael Ortman, uh, opening day 50 for 50, uh, author is here. Neil, I just got to say, man, you have an awful lot of talented friends. I'm not sure sure how you get attracted to them, but it's pretty cool. They all take pity on me. (laughs) (laughs) That's
4: what it is. Hey, Mike. Mike, I don't know if you know this. I tried to find some stats in within your stats, and you may already know these. You may not. Do you know how many opening day shutouts you attended? No. How about that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Wow. Eleven out of fifty were shutouts, which is interesting because you know the whole point about people who go to an opening day. It's that feeling of springtime. It's that feeling of oh my gosh, baseball is back and stuff. You attended some one nothing games, some two nothing games. I believe there was a twelve to nothing game in there. In fact, that was nineteen seventy Mickey Lowlich game, right?
5: Um, yes, there was also I think eleven or twelve nothing <laughs> Oriole loss on opening day nineteen eighty eight. That and hurts. Next, yeah, that hurts. And the next day, uh, John Eisenberg and Baltimore Sun said the Orioles were awful, but they're not really that bad. And the truth is, he was wrong. They, they really were, were that They bad. were really that bad. And they had right. opened that season 0 and 21. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, there were a lot of shots. One thing you have to remember about opening day it's always the best against the best in the pitching matchup. Right. right. So, I got to see a lot of future Hall of Famers you mentioned earlier Pedro Martinez and Roger Clements and even the Mickey mm-hmm. Lolich and Dick Bosman and Neil and uh, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. These are all the best. And the in, fact that in they would have a shutout, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. In fact,
4: the guy that really stood out to me was Ferguson Jenkins, mm-hmm. who pitched for the Red Sox one year and the Cubs another year. Did you you saw him three times? And the Texas Rangers. And the Texas Rangers. So that was I that jumped out to me because um he's one of my all-time favorite players. To see him three of the 50 times is kind of remarkable.
5: True. It was really amazing. It's
3: best against the best, you know.
4: That's right. That's right. Do you know what your personal opening day record was with the nationals? I'm going to guess something like four and 11. Very close. Five and 10. All right. And I'm surprised they let you back in. Frank. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> Got to remember the early years of the Washington nationals, the former Montreal Expos, they were really bad baseball team. That yeah, was man. one of the
3: things I noticed, Michael is, is that uh, a lot of the uh, games you attended the home team lost. True. And that's, that's, I mean, as a long-suffering Red Sox fan from the early 60s on, uh, I'm, I'm very aware of how depressing that is when they lose the opening day game. Yeah, it's kind of sure.
5: like, I mean, wait till next year. We start saying that like
3: on the second day of the season
5: in Boston. I do know the Orioles beat Roger Clements on opening day twice, once when he was pitching for the Yankees and once, uh, of course, pitching for the Red Sox.
4: <laughs> in fact, and this will make John smile, I didn't actually record this, but did you ever see a Yankees victory on opening day? Because I
5: think you saw multiple losses. I was 72, a Yankees victory over the Orioles. I thought it was, but maybe not. Might have been the only one, but
4: I did notice as I was going through a Yankees loss, a Yankees loss. So I knew that that would make John happy.
5: Oh, yeah. I, I, I was reveling in that information. I grabbed 2002, which I know was the Yankees 100th season. Mm-hmm. They opened at Oriole Park, which is where some fans know where Babe Ruth's dad once owned a saloon in what is now center field at Camden Yards. <laughs> where better to open your hundredth season <laughs> if it's not a Yankee Stadium? Then do it where Babe Ruth's dad used to. Still so what's to great
4: about what's great about the book um, for those who haven't had a chance to read it yet is that it, it truly is a a love story to baseball. But what makes it a really tremendous read is all of the stories, every single chapter is a personal story about you and your family, about other things that are going on. It it isn't all about baseball and it's not all about the game. It's the feelings. It's the, what's going on in the world. Some of it was a little controversial, the piece about Kurt flood and Mm -hmm. how he had to struggle to make baseball wake up to the whole idea that there's something more than the structure that it had. How did you get that emotion to come out and to be so transparent about your life but other lives?
5: Well, the the Kurt Flood story is an interesting crossover because there's two themes that go through the first 20, 30 years, and that's baseball and race relations. And Kurt Flood was a victim of racism a lot in his career. He um, In the 50s, 60s, when he was in St. Louis, he famously challenged the reserve clause. He wasn't treated real well in court as he tried to fight that did not get the support of his fellow players, et cetera. So um, interestingly, not a single player, current player, supported him at the time in court. Not a single active player went to his funeral in 1999. I mean, just didn't get the support he should have gotten. But Jackie Robinson did. And I grab a couple of chapters later in the book where I'm able to tell the story of Jackie Robinson Day and the evolution of that. Um, and that was really important. But the, the number of opening days that were impacted by strikes or lockouts, was significant. So each of those got to be a story. And then when right. I stopped and realized that Kurt Flood was the opening day center fielder for the 1971 Washington Senators, there was the opportunity to tell the Kurt Flood story. Yeah. And then two years later, Dave McNally is the opening day pitcher for the Orioles. I get to tell the Dave McNally story, who was a key figure in the early days of free agency. And then finally, Reggie Jackson. Yes, people, who did Reggie Jackson play for? They say the A's, the Yankees, some will remember the Angels. He played for the Orioles in played 1976, the Orioles. In one year. He didn't show up for opening day. <laughs> exactly. He was a holdout. But his role in mobilizing players, which Kurt Floyd wasn't able to do, Reggie did that and able to tell that story. So that kind of fills up the 70s and 80s.
4: I like you know, how you did wrap in that Garrett Cole, though, did mention him when it was time when he got right. his huge contract for 320-something million dollars. That finally somebody mentioned Kurt Flood in a positive way. He, he did that,
5: and it was so appreciated by a lot of people, not only for Kurt Flood, because Marvin Miller had gone into the Hall of Fame a month earlier before Garrett's press conference. And a lot of people feel that for Marvin to be there without Kurt Flood is an injustice. And I think the one of the whatever iteration of Veterans Committees has got to address that.
3: Mm. I know one of the things that um, baseball fans are going to love about the book, Michael, is is just remembering the names and, and the like, yeah. I mean, you know, you, you, there's one chapter where Boog Powell is, is prominently uh, featured and it's like, Oh, I remember, I remember hating that man, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sitting, sitting yeah. in the stands at Fenway park going boo without the G at the end. Just you know.
5: <laughs> Boog Powell is a great story. still, has a barbecue stand at Camden Yards. I mean, this is a man who, after his baseball career was over, went on and did Miller beer commercials that we all remember for a mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. And, and then they opened Boog's Barbecue 30 years ago at, at Oriole Park, and it's still going strong. Yeah, so I remember
3: one really one game out. I was watching. It was Dick Raditz came on in relief for the Red Sox against the Orioles and was playing, in, and Boog Powell was at bat, and it was like the monster against the monster. You know, <laughs> it was it – was, because Raditz was just big guy who threw faster than anybody back in the 60s when nobody was throwing fast. It was great to watch that. But, again, just the names, you know, Carl Yaskrimski keeps popping up and things like that. And it's just like, and, and you know, you mentioned Kurt Flood, and names that you don't think about a whole lot anymore. They're not the superstars that you remember forever, but you hear names and you go,
5: oh, I remember that, dude. Yeah, I remember that now. One it's, just, one it's pretty nope. cool. One friend who read an early chapter, he said, you know, you really need to put the box scores of all these games in here so people can connect to the names that were in that mm-hmm. game. And I said, that's adding 50 pages of stuff and cost to the book that I'm not sure everyone will appreciate. But by creating a companion website to go with the book, openingday5050.com, mm-hmm. anyone that wants to can click right in and get the whole box score, play-by-play, baseballreference.com was a treasure trove of help in, in the research for the book, but it's also brings to life all those additional details that just, mm-hmm. we couldn't So John,
4: on. don't, don't call me after this because you know where I'll be <laughs> for the next two hours going through. I mean, very slick way of working that in too, Michael. I, I like that. <laughs> I am mean, I'm impressed. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. He's a really good PR yeah. agent for himself. <laughs> hey Mike, so, 19 of the 50 games you attended had Cal Ripken either at shortstop or third base for the Orioles is he the guy that had the biggest impact on your life as a baseball player?
5: Um, He certainly had the biggest. Yes. I mean, he's right there with Ryan Zimmerman and Frank Howard as guys that just stand out over that 50 year period of time. Frank Howard was my first hero. And Frank Howard was, I was, I did an interview on MLB network a few weeks ago and, how, uh, Harold Reynolds said they used to, we used to call him Hondo the mini condo. He was so <laughs> big. This guy. I remember was... Hondo. I don't remember the condo part. <laughs> it's funny. He was a assistant coach with the Mariners when when Harold first broke into the big leagues. But I mean, that was a guy that I just clung to over the whole streak as the role model of my childhood. There's a statue of him outside Nationals Park today. Two weeks ago, I got to go to his house and meet him and give him the mm-hmm. book. I mean, mm. this thing went full circle. So Frank Howard, Cal Ripken had a biggest impact on the game over that right. time, the, the old game of baseball. As Bud Selig said, uh, when baseball needed a hero after the strike of 94-95, yeah. Cal Ripken was there for us, and he was, and he did so much for the game, but just showing up for work every day. Yeah. Um, I could have put Cal Ripken in any one of those 19 chapters. I put him in 1993 because that was the first year where on opening day, his dad was not in the dugout. Mm. He had been demoted to the minor leagues, decided not to take it, and was home with Vi watching the game on TV. That was hard. And Billy Ripken, who had been his partner in the infield in Baltimore for the previous several seasons, had been let go by the Orioles. That's right. Had re-signed with the Texas Rangers, and as the baseball gods would have it, who do the Orioles play on opening day, 1993? The Texas Rangers. There you and go. And what's the only day of the year where every player on both teams gets introduced? Opening, opening day. day. So yeah. when Billy Ripken gets introduced to the Texas Rangers, biggest ovation, bigger ovation <laughs> than Cal. It was great. <laughs> so, uh,
3: yeah. We've been asking a lot of questions, Michael. Um, and, and your your buddy, Neil, has been uh, furiously coming up with six <laughs> special ones. We call it a six-pack And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about your dad and his caddying career when we come right back. We are The Approach Shop. Don't go away.
2: Have current events affected the ability for you to pay your bills? Has your credit card debt overwhelmed you? Has your income decreased because you're working less? Or have you lost your job? Credit Guard of America may be able to help you find a solution to this problem. We offer a free, no-obligation consultation to learn how you can cut your payments by up to half. And potentially lower your interest down to zero. Credit Card of America is an A plus rated nonprofit company that will work on your behalf. Credit Guard of America is licensed in all 50 states and has counseled over 1 million consumers struggling with debt just like you. Let us help you analyze and prioritize your debt, negotiate with your creditors to reduce interest and payments, set up one affordable monthly payment, and provide ongoing education and support. Call now for a free no-obligation consultation and learn how you can become debt-free. Call 800-613-7650. That's 800-613-7650. 800 613
3: 7650. And we are back, the approach shot. I'm John Ashton. He is Neil Michaels. Uh, Michael Ortman is our guest, the author of Opening Day 50 for 50. One quick question before we turn it over to Neil. When, when did going to Opening Day uh, stop being something cool for you and become a tradition? How far into it?
5: Good question. Probably in the early eighties when it managed to make okay. it through college okay, and make it through that. It's crazy. And then when I got married and started having kids, I, in that chapter 1985, I talked about the fact that my wife was in surgery on Sunday mm-hmm. and opening day was on Monday. I wasn't going to opening day. <laughs> what are you talking about? But <laughs> well, my mother-in-law showed up at the hospital and said, you need to go to work. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> if you insist. Mm-hmm. By then I'm realizing the baseball gods are behind this. I just got to keep going and going yeah. and going. Yeah. And we did. Oh, cool. All right.
4: And by the way, one of one of the things that Mike and I share is that we were both lucky enough to be at Cal Ripkin's twenty one thirty one game. And I will tell this very quick story because I know we have a six pack to get to. But we were uh, my my wife and her friend and I were at Camden Yards. We're riding up the elevator. Who gets in the elevator right in front of us? But Tom Selleck. And to this day, if you called my ex wife and asked her greatest moment of her life was when Tom Selleck stood an inch and a half in front of her. And she looks over at her best friend and she makes the cupping... Motion to her friend and rolls her eyes. And I just stood there like, if he turned around right now, I'd have to be the one to answer to him. <laughs> Probably the greatest moment of her life. <laughs> this, on the other hand, will not be the greatest moment of your life, Mr. Ortman, because Uh-oh. we got a six pack for you. The way it works with the six pack is we fire off six questions. We expect you to answer the very first thing that comes to mind. If you don't, you hear this. I only do that because I want to be Steve Harvey. And we need to get these answers and no dilly-dallying. You ready?
3: Yes, sir.
0: sir.
4: All right. Question one. Opening day 50 for 50 is your first book. If you had all the resources and access necessary and could do so, who would be the subject of your next book, which we are calling the life and times of?
5: The fans. My next book, I would love for fans to give me their stories. So I could do opening day, the next 50, or your 50. But we did put this thing on the site. As we've talked about for the last half hour, there, this book does stir up memories. And I'm hoping that readers will come forth and say, well, I remember going to opening day and, and, and share that little story. I'll then talk to them and dig into the research and, and try to bring that to life for them and for others. And, you know, hopefully fun and entertaining way. That's that what like I'd love to not do not next a
4: possibility,
5: but it's in the works. Uh, it's in my head. I, <laughs> the website does create a place for people to enter that. We haven't gotten there yet, but there you go. Give it time.
4: Question two, there are some amazing people like Tim Kirchin and Ken Rosenthal that we mentioned that have praised 50 for 50 who reached out to you that really blew your
5: mind. Oh, this just this is great. I uh, got an email via the website day before yesterday from a guy who read Ken Rosenthal's tweet and started getting hit by, by his friends saying, Hey, we didn't know you wrote a book. His name is Michael Ortman. <laughs> and, and and he is a baseball junkie, a San Diego Padres fan. Nice. Who who has an interest in baseball that is so similar to mine. And we've gone back and forth via email the last couple of days. I'm gonna be in LA in a couple of weeks and I. I promise to drive down to San Diego and meet my
0: doppelganger. <laughs> <laughs> that's when that's
5: deer, amazing.
3: Come,
4: come by and say hi. All right. <laughs> Question three. All right. Reservations have been made at Sabatino's, one of Baltimore's most amazing Italian restaurants for Ortman party of four. You get to choose anyone living or dead in baseball history to join you to eat. Now I will admit the dead people don't eat as much. Who's sitting at your table?
5: Jackie Robinson, Rachel Robinson, and and Kurt Flood. Wow, I I, I I want to learn more about what those people went through in the nineteen and by those people, I mean those three in particular okay. um, to to f- help shape the game and the and the evolution of uh, of so much that we've come to reckon with as a society and as a country. Um, that, you know, that, I got to tell you
4: what. What's really interesting to me, and, and I've, I've had this discussion with other people, a lot of people talk about Jackie Robinson and rightfully so. A lot of people talk about Kurt Flood and rightfully so. Very few people talk about the race issues that Hank Aaron had to go through. True. And especially when he got close to breaking the record, he was bombarded by every idiot racial thing that could possibly come up. He was getting death threats that if you ever break Babe Ruth's record... Mm-hmm. You know, this and that will happen to you. I, mm-hmm. I, so I I want to just put that out there because I don't hear oh. that often enough, I think.
5: No, it's a very good point. I just didn't spend a whole lot of time during the book process with Hank, but everything you just said is 100% correct. And I uh, I, I mentioned Rachel, too, because she kept Jackie's vision alive for the last 25 years. In fact, interestingly, this year, the All-Star Game is in Los Angeles where the Dodgers play, of course. It will be played on Rachel's 100th birthday. Oh, fun. During this, the 75th anniversary of his historic debut in 1947. So it's just a whole lot of things coming together that make that.
4: Interesting. Baseball universe presents things like that.
5: I bought a uh, Jackie Robinson jersey that benefit the foundation at an auction a couple of years ago, a game-worn jersey from the Nationals. And I, I wear it a lot because it's the one jersey that survives trades and free agent signings and whatever. <laughs> it's, it's a great yeah.
4: one. Question four, and this is getting into your dad, which we'll talk about in a minute. Your dad was a caddy for Gene Sarazen, who is known as the Squire and one of the greats of all time, 49 career wins. So you got your first golf lesson from Chichi Rodriguez, which is crazy. (laughs) Is there
5: a golf book in the making? Oh, I'm going to talk to Tom Coyle about that when I see Tom Coyle and I both went to Notre Dame. Tom's a great golf writer and author. I'm going to meet him in a couple of weeks. Actually, he and I are both doing book signings at Notre Dame at reunion weekend on on June 3rd. And uh, I've never met Tom, but I'm in the middle of reading his book called A Course Called Ireland. And it's fantastic. Um, There are certainly enough good golf stories in my repertoire that it could be entertaining to some, but there's a lot of great golf material out there.
4: um, Oh, I I think if you included your dad's piece of this (laughs) and then your piece of this... It would be very
5: interesting. It won't be 50 chapters, but yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not. All right. Question five. And John, you knew this was coming. Okay. This is the most important question I'll ask. Since you spent a number of opening days in Baltimore and a number of opening days in Chicago, crabs in Baltimore or pizza in
5: Chicago? Pizza in Chicago. You traitor. Oh, (laughs) I, I have an aversion to seafood in general. If it was ever in the water... It doesn't go in my mouth. So it's that simple. Excuse
3: I, me, I, but pizza in Chicago is nothing but bread with tomato sauce on top of it. I doubt. Yeah.
5: Pizza in Chicago. That's it. If,
4: if it's been in the water, it's not going in my mouth. Should that's be it. a bumper sticker. <laughs> Just not in the All right, Mr. Right. Ortman. Question six. Since we are the approach shot, Mike Ortman, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by?
5: Leave it better than you found it. And, mm. I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you where that came from. It came from dad teaching me golf at a young age. And I was a young teenager. And dad had this obsession when he would go, up. his obsession with the etiquette of the game. Dad wore knickers because Gene Sarazen wore knickers all the way until he stopped playing 50 years If later.
4: I could, I'd wear knickers.
5: Dad would always go up on the green and show you how to repair a divot. But he would always repair a second and a third and a fourth. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Dad, you didn't make those divots. You made this one. Man. Why are you doing the other ones? He said, because you got to leave it better than you've found it.
3: Amen.
5: And if you take that rule and apply it to everything else in life, we're not all successful at it. But if we try, mm-hmm. every conversation you have, every relationship you have, every company you work for, every picnic ground you visit, whatever, if you leave it better than you found it, the world's going to be a better place. And I think I've mm-hmm. tried to do that uh, throughout my life, and I hope others do too. Fantastic.
4: Potentially one of the best answers we've ever had. <laughs> Mike Ortman, that hot seat didn't seem all that hot to you, but uh, you handled it well and you were off the hot seat. Well done. Sir.
3: Thank you. <laughs> I had a quick baseball story. Um, I, I, use, I was a uh, music director at a radio station in Charleston, South Carolina, and one of the music uh, promotion guys uh, called me and I told him I was going on vacation. And every year I've always gone back to New England for vacation. My family still lives there. And he said, are you going to go to a Sox game? And I said, if they're playing. And he looked and he called me and he said, yeah, they're playing the Orioles. And I said, great. And he said, listen, Jim Palmer's a friend of mine. I can get you tickets. And I went, yeah, okay. That's cool. So he called and he said, yeah, they'll be at the will call the gate. Just, you know, go up there and ask for it. So my sister and her husband at the time, he was a huge Red Sox fan. And I said, I've got his tickets to Red Sox game. So as we're driving down... He asked, "You know, how much do I owe you for the tickets?" I said, "No, they're free. I'm getting them from Jim Palmer." And he said, "You don't have to do that to impress me, John. You know, just tell me you bought the tickets. Tell me how much they are, and I'll give you the money." (laughs) And I I said, "Dan, just shut up, okay?" And he he was denying it all the way till the time we walked up to the will call window. And I said, "Yeah, Jim Palmer left some tickets for John Ashton." He said, "Yes, sir, Mister Ashton. Here you go." (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) And he goes, "Damn." See
4: that's how you know that John is a much nicer person than I am because I would have said a hundred bucks a piece.
3: <laughs> it's my sister. Come on, all right, two hundred bucks a piece. <laughs> all right, but let's let's jump into the Caddy stories now, Michael, because that is just so cool. I mean, there there just seems to be an affinity with your family and and sports
5: icons. Well, so my dad grew up during the depression in Washington, D.C. Um, and he loved golf and he was on the golf team, got four year letterman in high school playing golf at St. John's college high school. And as fam- as legend had it, he caddied for Gene Sarazen during the 1935. Remember that number? Cause it's wrong. Uh, <laughs> National capital open. <laughs> and I have this photograph of Gene Sarazen, autographed to Frank Ortman. Best wishes, Gene Saracen. And he did. So I, Dad passed away many years ago, but I was walking the Walk of Champions at the World Golf Hall of Fame, and I was drawn to Gene Saracen's signature block there, and I realized there was plenty of real estate nearby for a brick, so I thought I could induct my father into the World (laughs) Golf (laughs) Hall of Fame Walk of Champions. So I had a brick made that says, uh, Squire's Caddy, Frank Ortman, 1935 National Capital and then I start researching this and find out there was no 1935 National Capital Open. Oops. Sports writers back in the day and my dad's memory a little different. And maybe I didn't. Maybe he was confusing Gene's great shot heard around the world in the 1935 Masters with reality. It made much more sense as I dug into it. Dad caddied for Gene Sarazen in 1931 National Capital ah. Open. So I had the brick redone. <laughs> <laughs> and I went back to make sure that the right one was installed back on uh, March 11th, 2020. And I think a lot of us remember where we were in March of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then I got my buddy, Steve, and I did that little ritual and paid homage to my dad um, and drove down to West Palm to go to spring training, the Yankees against the Nationals. And as we're in the seats on the 12th of March, there's this announcement that we're going to shut down Major League Baseball because of this Mm -hmm pandemic thing. And it was the last spring training game. Well, we had gone on a mission to put an asterisk next to the Houston Astros logo, World 2017 World Series champion. Mm -hmm. They had a security guard guarding it. (laughs) This was on Thursday. On Saturday, it was a ghost town. Yeah. So on our way to the airport, Steve and I swing by and do a pro thing. And, yeah, that was a big tweet. But, but, but the week started at the World Golf Hall of Fame, and that is my biggest memory of that and the, the asterisk at the end of the week.
4: There you <laughs> go, the Astros, Astros fans. You know who did it. That's All right. do. There was a, there was a,
5: a Twitter handle called um, Shame Tour 2020, and we posted <laughs> the picture out there. It got 58,000 views on Twitter because it was the best. <laughs> We are very open about it. All right, Michael,
3: look, duck your head a minute so everybody can see behind you. Opening day, 50 for 50.
5: ta It's the there? book.
3: <laughs> Great book, Michael Ordman. We appreciate you spending time with us here on The Approach Shop. It's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having
1: me. Texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Men, want to feel younger, stronger, leaner? You don't have to slow down after 40. Frank Thomas found the secret to staying in shape with the energy and drive of his 20s. Man, you look like you could still hit it a mile. I feel great too. What gives? After 40, men slow down. It's harder to stay in shape. Why? Our free testosterone levels drop. I gotta try NuGenix Total T. Text Grit to three two one three two one for your complimentary bottle of NuGenix Total T. That's G R I T to three two one three two one.
6: If you're like me, you've been hearing a lot about burials and cremation lately. It's kind of a sad thought, but thousands of these poor souls have to be stored in these big refrigerator trucks, waiting sometimes weeks before they can be put to rest. And then, and then the average funeral cost is over ten grand. I don't have that kind of money just lying around. Do you? Everyone has the right to die with dignity. And an affordable burial policy can be had for as little as a dollar a day. Call Final Expense Network for a free quote. They shop for affordable rates from brand name companies. Folks you've heard of. One call and you get coverage to finish well. You can even name your church as a beneficiary. Come on, you have loved ones. Don't leave them at the last hour of their need. Call now. 800-589-0470. That's the final expense network at 800-589-0470. Finish well. Make a quick call to 800-589-0470.
3: 800-589-0470. Once again, Neil, I am impressed with the friends you have. This is too confused by the friends you have. Also, impressed. We've done
4: 75 shows now. I have two friends. You've had one friend.
3: (laughs) Uh So, but he drank a lot. Well, I've had a couple one. I had one friend that was a lot prettier than both of yours. That's
4: true. Okay. You had two friends. You might have, you might have, you have me beat. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um,
4: (laughs) If if you've just listened to this, pick up a copy of the book. It's opening day. 5050. You can pick it up at barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com. It is available only online because apparently they don't believe in having actual books at actual stores anymore. And please do go to openingday5050.com. Not only will you get a chance to take a look at things about the book. But you'll get a chance to go into those box scores, which is where I'll be until, I don't know, (laughs) the sun goes down tonight. You can put in some of your own opening day stories, which I plan to do because I've had some really pretty good ones myself.
3: Well, you know, growing up in Boston, man, we, we tried to avoid opening day because it was uncomfortably cold.
4: One of the things I noticed is there were times where it was like rainy and miserable. Then it was like chilly. And then there were like sunny and beautiful. And I thought he's either in Chicago, Baltimore, or Washington. And if it's April 5th to the 12th, it could be any of those things, but there were plenty of like 70 degrees and beautiful. Part of the reason I'm in San Diego is every opening day is 70 degrees and beautiful. But I will tell you that like this year, I went to opening day with my stepson and just to hang out the two of us together, have a couple of beers, watch the game, get involved in the enthusiasm. And there was a great opening day story here. The guy who pitched for the Padres is originally from San Diego. So they went crazy. The people just having the hometown love. There is something about that. I've always believed opening day should be a national holiday. I don't think that's probably ever going to happen, but I do believe that. Great book. I wanted to ask Mike how he got to the point where it became a book. How do you go from this idea to suddenly having it published to then suddenly being this huge success, but we'll get
3: there. We need you to uh, concentrate now on, on your golf game, my golf game. It's the collective view. Yeah. The collective view, you know, baseball is a great game. Golf is a great game too, but you have to keep in mind that the same people invented golf and called it a game that invented bagpipes and called it music. And also remember, life is like opening day. You go there,
4: you enjoy it, it's a gift. Go open it. You've been listening to The Approach Shot
1: with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at approachshot.net. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply.
0: You only want what's best for your baby. And so does BJ's.